Thank you, Julia. Such a beautiful song. Love that. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we are on the first Sunday of May, the third Sunday of Easter. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to John. It's a follow-up, really, from, uh, from last week um, where uh, Pastor Edie was here visiting with us. We're going to... It's a little bit longer uh, story than normal. We're going to be reading through 19 verses, but you'll see how it all kind of works in together. So if you want to pull out your pew Bible, we're in John 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Um, I've been fishing a lot in my life, and I ain't never seen anybody fishing naked. But um, anyway, somebody, somebody will have to explain that to me at some point. But moving along, verse 8. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. When they'd gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go where you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which you would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in the midst of the attractions and distractions of life, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is Cinco de Mayo, so uh, buenos dias, everyone. Uh, thank you. And uh, it's also the day after Star Wars Day, so may the fourth be with you. Thank you very much. And, uh, but in the church, it's still the season of Easter, uh, therefore he is risen. 
Hallelujah. Amen. And since it is the third Sunday of Easter, we look at a third resurrection appearance. This one, again, the follow-up to last week's scripture when Pastor Edie was with us um, sharing as our guest preacher. In today's scripture, it's obvious the disciples are just despondent, right? The world has collapsed around them. Their Lord has been crucified. I suppose by this time in the story, it's about a week after the resurrection. Um, I suppose everyone has at least heard that Jesus was alive. Most of the disciples have seen him with their own eyes. But for some reason, they haven't grasped the significance of the resurrection just yet. And that's important. They're still dazed and confused, if you will. They are young, restless, and bored. So they do what any intelligent person would do in such circumstances. They go fishing. Peter announced to the disciples, I'm going fishing. The others didn't know what to do, so they said, we'll go with you. And they went out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. But that night, the Bible says, they caught nothing. They're probably not all that surprised considering how things have been going lately. But here comes the first lesson in this amazing, rich story. The disciples, you see, recruited by Jesus, were supposed to be fishing for people. You remember Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Only they fail. They can't seem to do it without Jesus. So who should show up in this hour but none other than Jesus himself? And he asked them, he says, catch anything? Which you always ask anybody who's ever been fishing, right? I mean, that's just... Just standard nomenclature to ask, catch anything? Their answer is also typical of people fishing. They say, not much happening out there, right? I know people who've gone fishing for just a couple of hours and caught enough fish to keep a cannery in business, and they'll say, not much happening out there. Know why? Because they don't want you fishing their spot, right? So they'll say, no, nothing's happening, hoping you'll move along. That's not what happened here. They had been out all night long trying to catch fish, and they caught zilch, zero, nada, nothing. When I was in Africa a few months ago, we stayed in a hotel on this beautiful little lagoon, and beside the hotel was the local fish market. I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, parked on the beach were probably two dozen of these really long canoes, about as long as from me to Jesus on the back wall back there. And, um, and they were super narrow. I mean, like they would have fit in this center aisle here. And every canoe, I noticed, had 10 people on it. And they didn't paddle like we would on a canoe. They had a little outboard motor on the back of the canoe, um, just like my granddad used to have back home when we would go fishing on the farm ponds of his friends. So, um, so anyway, every night, every night um, as I was trying to get to sleep, I would hear those outboard motors and I'd hear the fishermen come by my hotel room every single night. And they would go out into the ocean, I understand, on these little canoes, and they'd go fishing all night long, and then they'd come back the next morning and try to sell all their fish. So we'd get up in the morning at the hotel and we were eating outside and, and having breakfast there and we could see all the commotion next door at the fish market. And there were lots of people and lots of talking and lots of um, hollering and going on and lots of smoke too. There were lots of fires. And I wondered were the, were the people 
um, cooking the fish that they just caught and trying to you know, have a little breakfast. Sometimes the smoke, in fact, would come over our way and kind of get in our eyes and such. But uh, anyway, I, I wish I had a, a video projector and I could show you because I got great pictures of the whole thing. Just, I tell you what, just catch me after the service and I'll show you on my iPhone, okay? We'll do it that way. Anyway, other than the sound of the outboard motors, I wondered, was this what it was like for the disciples back in the first century? And what would it mean to be out all night and not catch anything? You know, for most of the people I know who like to fish, it's a fun hobby. But if fishing is your livelihood and you've been out all night and didn't catch anything, well, that meant no paycheck. That meant no food on the table for you and for your family. It would be extremely disappointing. But according to our text for the day, when the disciples struck out, the stranger on the beach says to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do it and catch a whole mess of fish. John says to Peter, it's the Lord, because nobody can fish like he can. The text says that there are 153 fish in the net. 153. That is a really bizarre and accurate number. It's, it doesn't say 150. It doesn't say 154. It doesn't say they caught more than 100 fish. They caught 153 fish. You know, who, who goes around and does the counting? You know, I'm just really curious about that. The important thing is that when numbers appear like that in the Bible, to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and here, as is often the case in the Bible, there's an allegorical interpretation that the author wants you to understand. You see, 153 didn't mean they'd simply caught a boatload of fish. 153 was the number of the known nations in the world to the people who lived in first century Palestine. You see where this is going? Okay? All right, what did Jesus tell the disciples at the beginning? I'll make you fish for people. What did he say to them at the end? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Right? So he caught 153 fish to represent catching people from all the nations of the world into the net of discipleship. It's an object lesson that Jesus is giving to his disciples. He's saying, in effect, I see that you went back to your old work and your old ways. Uh huh. But I'm here to remind you, you got a job to do for me. And that's to go into the world and fish for people. That's the first part of the story. You could call that part of the story the kettle of fish, if you will. But um, the second part of the story, we're going to call the charcoal fire. And that's the part that I really want us to focus on this morning. Okay, the disciples, they get out of the boat, and they join Jesus on the beach, and Jesus is standing by a charcoal fire. Now, you're not supposed to miss that point. It's not any ordinary fire. It's a charcoal fire. Do you remember the last time we came across a charcoal fire in the Gospel of John? I preached on this about a month ago. You remember um, the soldiers are standing around a charcoal fire, outside of the palace of uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and there's somebody lurking around the fire. Remember? It's Peter. And he gets close enough to the fire that one of the servant girls recognizes him and says, you there, you were with Jesus. He said, I don't know who you're talking about, right? And then another servant girl comes up and says, no, 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 you are a Galilean. I, I know, I've seen you with that Jesus fellow. 
And he says, no, 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 you, you got me confused with somebody else. And then a third says, I am sure you are with Jesus. And he says, I promise you I do not know the man. All this taking place around a charcoal fire. Okay, I tell you for Peter, the sight of another charcoal fire would bring back the memory of that dreadful night when he denied his best friend and his Lord. In real time, this probably is only about 10 days after the, the first charcoal fire, right? So Jesus standing beside a charcoal fire. Peter, who impulsively jumped out of the boat and started running through shallow water to see Jesus, he gets up to the beach and sees him, Jesus standing beside a charcoal fire and probably stopped dead in his tracks and went, uh-oh, this is getting real uncomfortable. Jesus didn't say anything to him. He took the fish, cooked the fish. He took the bread, broke the bread, gave it to him, just like he did at the Last Supper. He wants all the disciples to remember what he's taught them because they seem to have forgotten. So he has communion with them again, just as he promised. He said that they would sit with him in his kingdom when he returned. And now look what's happened. The meal's over. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I think it's interesting that he uses his old name. You know, the name that he had when he was a fisherman, before he met Jesus. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend my sheep. A third time, he asks, do you love me? Peter says, well, yes, Lord. And Jesus doesn't have to say, then what are you doing out here fishing? He says, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus around a charcoal fire. Three times Jesus forgives Peter around a charcoal fire. That's what's happening here. Peter thought he was having a breakfast of fish. Instead, he was being served fresh grilled forgiveness. Feed my sheep means you still got a job to do. You are restored. Forgiveness means forgetting the past and starting over again. You know, guilt is a chain. Guilt holds you to the past even if you don't talk about it or you try to forget it or you've been doing a really good job of suppressing it and keeping it down. It's still a chain that holds you back so that you're not free to live the life that you want to live. Now, you may not be able to identify, but there is something that is holding you back and ruining your life from what it ought to be. But forgiveness means no more holding back. You're free. As the old song says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free, right? Feed my sheep means you got a future now. That's the meaning of the charcoal fire. It's a scene of forgiveness. It's a scene of empowerment. And then this story, it ends with a riddle, which is kind of weird. Jesus doesn't talk, he talks a lot in parables, but he doesn't talk in riddles all that much. But he says, when you were young, Peter, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. What in the world does that mean? Well, the author of the Gospel of John, he puts his own interpretation right there in the text. In fact, the monks who, uh, who, who added the, the punctuation later um, put this part in parentheses so that you'll know this is John's interpretation. 
He says it's a prediction of Peter's crucifixion. Because Peter will die just like Jesus on a cross, except in Rome instead of Jerusalem. But Peter will tell the Romans, he'll say, I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord died. So in this terrible irony, the executioner turned his cross upside down. Now imagine how gruesome it is to die on a cross. But imagine it. Yeah, you, okay, you're there. Um, so this is a prediction of his death. But there's something else here. Look at the riddle again. When you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you or help you. When we were young, well, I'll speak for myself. When I was young, I was so much like Peter. Assured, brash, boastful, confident in my abilities. Sure, I could do it all. Positive that we could take on the world. You remember when Peter said to Jesus, I'll never leave you. Others are going to betray you, but I never will. And then what happened a few hours later? He left Jesus, right? Denied even knowing him. You know, there's a time in your life when you think you can do anything. And you believe that usually when you're young. And then sooner or later, you fail. You know, you fall on your face. That's just part of life. That's when you learn you can't really do it all on your own. You need somebody's help. You need someone's forgiveness, perhaps. You need somebody's patience, their grace. It's exactly that way with the disciples. Days before the crucifixion, in fact, they're walking to Jerusalem with Jesus, and what are they doing? They're boasting. They're, they're talking about which one of them's the greatest, right? But now look at them. Look what happens just a few days later. Every single one of them failed to deliver on their boasting. We pick on Peter, but all of them scattered. He might be the most likable of all the bumblers, but they're all bumblers, just like us. I believe what this means, this whole fishing and catching nothing and Jesus showing them how to do it, it means we need grace to do what we're called to do. At some point in our life, when we are able to say, I am a sinner, and I cannot do this on my own. Come, Lord Jesus, help me. Well, that's the moment we grow up. Maybe it happens when we discover a weakness in our life. We don't want anybody else to know about it, so we lie about it or we find some way to cover it up. For a while, we think we're really successful, you know, because nobody's talking about it. Or if they do, our denials seem to, you know, kind of brush them off and... Uh, and pretty soon, we're spending an awful lot of our time just kind of pretending, you know? And then one day, we really mess up, and somebody calls us out on it. And then they tell us, it doesn't matter. And we're a little curious about what's going on here, because you've exposed yourself as imperfect, but they say, that's okay. You realize, they really do mean it. They accept you. They receive you. They forgive you. You reach out your hand to that person in that moment, and they take it. It's like being girded. It's like being carried. It's the most wonderful feeling in the world to know that you've been forgiven. Or maybe that point that you reach in your life, when you look back and realize just how dependent you really were on other people. 
You know, you've been boasting of your self-reliance, bragging about your achievements. You're caught up in that great American myth of self-reliance, and you believe all that stuff about doing it all on your own. You've read the books. You've been to the seminars. You, you, you feel like you've done it all by yourself, but when one day you grow old and you realize, I didn't do this all on my own. You've been taking the credit for it, bragging on it a little bit, but you know the truth. From time to time, this applies to all of us. We've had to put out our hand and someone else has girded us. The text says that's what happens when we grow old. I, I think it's what happens when we grow up. It's a sign of maturity. It's the realization I cannot live my life alone. When you're young, you gird yourself, but when you're old, someone else strengthens you. When you grow old, you've fallen down a few times. When you mature, you discover the limits of your life and discover you haven't gone far by yourself. If you're my age or older, you may remember Derek Redman from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. If you're younger than me, as soon as you get out of, of this um, service, I want you to go to YouTube and just type in Derek Redman, 1992, Barcelona. It'll, it'll come up, okay? But you may want tissues, okay? I'm just warning you. Derek was a 400-meter runner from Great Britain. And about 150 meters into the race, the race that he'd been training for his entire life, he falls to the track. And people rush over to check on him, make sure he's okay, and he bounces up really quick, but he's grabbing his thigh. He's pulled a hamstring, and he starts hopping down the track best he could, knowing the race is over, but he was determined he's going to finish it. And then a man came out of the stands. It was a stranger to all of us, but it wasn't to Derek. It was his father. And his father put out his hand and put his arm around the shoulders of his son. The son came in close be comforted. The father girded him. He strengthened him in the moment that he needed it. And leaning on his father's arms, Derek Redmond finished the race. Afterward, a reporter asked the father, why'd you do that? Why'd you come out of the stands? And he said, well, we started this together and we're going to finish it together. Let's go back to the disciples in their boat fishing. Stranger on the shore tells them where to find the fish. Couldn't do it on their own. Then he renews the life that he had given them years before. He gives it back to them. He just appears out of nowhere and gives their life back to them. A life that they thought they had thrown away. They know they can't do it by themselves. But because he started with them, he finished with them. You may have messed up too. Maybe it was your fault. And maybe it wasn't your fault at all. But the one who started with you will finish with you. You will be forgiven. You will be empowered if you just give him the chance. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our service continues this morning with Holy Communion. And so I invite you to turn to page 12 in your hymnal. Rachel Held Evans tells us, this is what God's kingdom looks like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry. 
because they said yes. And there's always room for one more. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's continue to pray in silence. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Turning to 13, the Lord be with you. Lift up your heads. Excuse me, lift up your hearts. I've only said this like 50,000 times in my life. Let's go back. It's a good thing I'm getting uh, some... Uh, fresh grilled forgiveness today, right? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to assist if they'll come forward now and remind you that the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup of salvation for which we give thanks 
is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Be careful with that, it's really full. You don't have to be a member here at Wrightsville United Methodist Church in order to participate in this holy meal. This is our version of breakfast on the beach. This, our version of the Last Supper. This is where we come to receive forgiveness, to be empowered, to go back out into the world. This is where we come to get our fresh grilled forgiveness. As always, there is a gluten-free station back behind the piano. Um, for those who prefer to come to one of the other stations, um, you'll receive a piece of the bread, so just hold your hands out, and then when you take the bread, put it in the, don't put it in the cup, but hold it all to it um, as you dip it into the cup and then consume the elements and either stay here for a moment of prayer or return to your seat for a moment of prayer. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good.